We officially have eight matchups between teams that are 3-0 and or better this Saturday. That's the most in a single day since the FCS-FBS split back in 1978. So a historically great day of matchups. It's a record, one of the best weekends we've had in recent college football history. So many great matchups, undefeateds, ranks, you name it. We have so many great things that we need to break down in the game. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me as always, Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, and Jake Garcia. We have a great show for you today. It's Thursday. We always do this. We're going to break these games down in their entirety. I'm talking we are going into the weeds. All right. So if you want to be prepared to watch college football from noon until 2.30 in the morning on Saturday, this is your home for that. We're going to dive deep, deep. I'm talking deep on Notre Dame and Ohio State. We're going to talk about Bama and LSU, Bama and, and Ole Miss. Can Bama right the ship? It's going to be very interesting to watch. Florida State and Clemson. Clemson's dominated the ACC for the last seven years. Can Florida State finally get a win? Clemson's the home underdog. Colorado's going to Oregon. Can Colorado's hot start continue? Going to break that one down in its entirety. But we're going to go out west. We don't forget about the west coast out here. I can promise you that. Oregon State and Washington State. What should be an incredible battle. Great, great quarterback for Washington State against a great rushing attack that Oregon State has. UCLA and Utah, a game that's kind of flown under the radar, but do not sleep on the matchup. That game's going to be a war in the trenches, and we will break it down here for sure. And speaking of wars, anytime Iowa plays, it's going to be a war. You know that. They get Penn State this week, and we'll break that one down as well, as well as Texas going on the road to Baylor. So let's not waste any additional time. Let's dive into these matchups, dive in deep today, ladies and gentlemen with our breakdowns here for week number four. This weekend preview is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. What a weekend we have coming up this weekend. I hope you're as excited as we are, and I can't wait to get into the breakdowns, but just to kind of set the table for a moment, we officially have eight matchups between teams that are 3-0 and or better this Saturday. That's the most in a single day since the FCS-FBS split back in 1978. So a historically great day of matchups, and several of which aren't necessarily all involving undefeated teams, ranked teams, what have you. We have six ranked matchups. We have several, like I said, eight undefeated versus undefeated matchups, few of which Ohio State Notre Dame. We're also get to that one. Rutgers at Michigan. Uh, you have Colorado at Oregon. UCLA at Utah. Oregon State, Washington State, Iowa at Penn State, BYU at Kansas, two unranked teams, but both undefeated. And then Memphis at Missouri, both undefeated, also unranked. So a great week of football coming up here in the next couple of days. Let's dive in. The biggest game of the weekend, in my eyes, some people might see it differently. Maybe the rating won't be as good on this one. I think it will be naturally. Maybe it's Colorado and it's Oregon, but man, take a peek at this one. Ohio State and Notre Dame. Do I need to talk you into it? It's two teams ranked at the top nine. A game that delivered last year, even though it lacked offensive fireworks. But uh, I think this is a massive, massive opportunity for Notre Dame. Massive. Uh, they have long come up short in games like this, whether it's playoff and experiences. You could hold things over their head. Like when they beat Clemson in 20, you could say, well, Trevor didn't play. And then obviously Clemson righted the wrong in the ACC championship game. Feels like Notre Dame on multiple different occasions has been close. But in games like this, they have failed to deliver. This is a big opportunity, according to our resident Notre Dame fan, Mark Kubiak, our producer, said it could be the biggest win for the Irish if they pull it off since 1993. I don't know. I was four. 
I'll take his word for it. Let's talk about some of the good on good matchups in the game. You have an excellent, excellent wide receiver core for Ohio State. Not telling you anything you don't know, but what you might not know is just how good Notre Dame is in the secondary. I think it's an elite group. I had question marks coming into the season about the safety play. They have delivered in many ways with what I've seen from them through the first three weeks, four weeks. They've played four games. When we think about the wide receivers at Ohio State, I think we all know about Marvin Harrison. We all know about Emeka Igbuka. They're amazing. Okay. Igbuka is going to live a little more in the slot. Harrison, of course, your prototypical rangy X, your go to guy as the wide receiver. He's number, you know, number one prospect ever. <laughs> basically. So everybody knows about Marvin Harrison. If you don't know about him, you should read about his dad. He's a pretty good player in his own right. He only has a gold jacket signifying Hall of Fame induction status in the NFL. Uh, but what I think what makes this group really different is that their depth. Uh, Julian Fleming, he wears number four. Cade Stover, he wears number eight. Xavier Johnson, he wears number zero. And you think about a former Notre Dame recruit, I might add, Carnell Tate, who's number 17. Also, you know, this is just a deep group that can beat you in a lot of different ways, have a bunch of different skill sets and feature a bunch of different players. Xavier Johnson in particular, very difficult to match up with. They'll hand it to him. They'll give it to him a bunch of different ways. He's a featured player that's explosive with the ball in his hands. And you have a tone setter like Kate Stover, the tight end, number, number uh, eight. Really a tone setter. Physical dude that wants to get involved in the run game. The guy has a NIL deal with John Deere or whatever, a tractor company. Like he hurt his back last year leading up to the bowl game because he was bailing hay on Christmas. I mean, this guy is just, he is one of my favorite players in college football. Uh, but you think about Notre Dame secondary, Benjamin Morrison, this is a massive game for him. Uh, number 20, excellent perimeter, perimeter defender. Uh, I think he's got future, future NFL potential, and this is a massive tape for him. He's going to get to draw. Likely, if he plays the boundary and they get Marvin Harrison to the boundary, he's going to get that matchup. And we know that Notre Dame plays a lot of man coverage. So this is a great opportunity for him to showcase just what he can do against the best wide receiver in America. Cam Hart on the other side, a guy that's not to be kind of forgotten. I think he's actually better than people probably give him credit. And then I referenced the safeties. I think they've come a long way in that regard. So can they match up with the secondary options? If Benjamin Morrison can somehow keep Marvin Harrison in check, that would be huge for the Irish defense. Let's talk also good versus good. Ohio State defensive line against Notre Dame offensive line. Massive, massive matchup in the game. Think about what Ohio State has. Great athleticism along the front. Not telling you anything you don't know. One of the guys I'd keep an eye on, even though JT Tuimolao is going to get a ton of run, his matchup against the tackles, whether it's the left tackle Joe Alt, or the right tackle Blake Fisher is one that everyone's going to want to watch. Where does number 44 go, and does he line up on the left side or the right side? I would imagine they're going to try to get him against Blake Fisher, the right tackle, and that's one that Notre Dame has to neutralize a little bit if they're going to have success in pass protection. But Mike Hall is another guy to keep an eye on. He's number 51. He's a handful, and he tore up Notre Dame last year, and he's going to be working against, I think, the weakness of this offensive line. Those are the guards. Uh, Pat Coogan on the left side, Rocco Spindler on the right. Those are the two guys that are going to have their hands full against a twitchy internal pass rusher in my call. So keep an eye on that matchup. I think Ohio State defensive line is excellent. Even though it doesn't necessarily get the credit that it might deserve, it's a really good group going against a really good group with what Notre Dame has along the offensive front. This is what's going to determine the outcome. Notre Dame's defensive line against Ohio State's offensive line. Now, if Notre Dame doesn't win this battle, against Ohio State's offensive line, they're going to have a long day. Just going to tell you right now. Ohio State's offensive line has looked very human. 
You lose a couple of of couple of of high level NFL players on both tackles. Lose a high level center and Whipler. Uh, those two guys on the edges, they're not back. Not the same. And I do think the left side of the offensive line has been pretty gettable up to this point. Ohio State's going to have to try to create some balance. They can't just put it all in Kyle McCord and say, hey, Kyle, go do your thing. All right, They're going to have to create some balance. And the way they create balance is by trying to at least stay committed enough to the run game. Travion Henderson's coming off the best day that he's had in, in quite a while. Chip Tranum's the number two, and Mayan Williams is the hammer. He's the guy that's going to be the number three, and they'll try to get all involved, especially Mayan Williams in short yardage and goal line situations. He's a downhill guy, really not that different than Audric Estime, if you are familiar with Notre Dame's offensive personnel. Mayan Williams and Audric Estime, I think, are very similar backs. Travion Henderson is lightning. This guy, if he gets out in space, he can take it the distance, create a lot of problems for you. And I think Chip Trainum's kind of a good mix between the two. He has some power, he has some speed, but he's not as fast as Henderson. He's not as powerful as Mayan Williams. Really good backfield contingent. And the offensive line, if they can create some holes against Notre Dame's defensive front, that could be a little bit problematic. I also think Notre Dame has to do a better job tackling. Last week against Central Michigan, it left something to be desired. If you watch the game, you probably know what I'm talking about. It wasn't great. You're going to have to tackle a whole lot better against much more capable personnel this week. Notre Dame's defensive line, I like them a lot. I really like them. I think they're very sound. I think they're very physical. I don't think they're crazy twitchy on the edges, but I do think they're sound enough and their linebackers with timely pressures can make Kyle McCord's life a little bit uncomfortable. I love the linebacker core at Notre Dame. I think they're as good as anybody as a, as a group, as a contingent in the entire country. Another matchup that's going to be highly important in this game, Notre Dame's wide receivers against Ohio State secondary. Notre Dame's wide receivers, in order of how much I love them, goes number one, Chris Tyree. He's their most explosive weapon. He's in the slot. Moved from running back to slot receiver. He's got to create some big plays. Jaden Thomas, big body, hybrid type of player that can play slot, that can play kind of loose tight end, can be a move guy, can man him up on the outside. This guy can kind of move all over the place, and I think they'll create some matchups. And his size-strength combination is a difficult cover for the most part. After that, I love Holden Stays. Holden Stays at tight end, he's got a lot of juice at a tight end spot. He can get vertical. He can be really effective off play action. He can line up at fullback and slip out in the flat and create some problems for you. So he's got a big day in the Tobias Merriweather too. He's come on a little bit of late. He's going to be important in this game. And when you think about what Ohio State has in the secondary, Denzel Burke, number 10, he's taken some lumps from time to time. Has played decent up to this point. Davison Igbenosan is the other guy. He's number one. These are the two corners. Notre Dame has to win one-on-ones against those two. And I think the safeties, while very, very good around the box, I think they can at times become a little bit of a liability in coverage. But so far, no one has really been able to take advantage of that. The next thing that I need to know, can Ohio State stop the run? Huge, huge matchup in the game. Ohio State, so far, against Power 5 competition, albeit one game, Indiana had 71 yards rushing uh, and a cool 2.2 yards in attempt. So, so far, so good. For Notre Dame, but I would admit, or so far so good for Ohio State, but I would admit that's not really a good indicator of whether or not they're going to have success against the Irish. And then finally, which quarterback do you trust the most? Sam Harton, the grizzled sixth-year player that has looked phenomenal so far in the first four games. Very accurate, great down the field. Go watch this game against Clemson. 
And look at how many tight window throws he had to execute to make that game competitive. Last year, man, he kept him in the game. There was good coverage from Clemson, but he was able to fit it in there. It's going to require a performance like that if Notre Dame's going to ultimately pull off the upset. And then Kyle McCord, he looked really good last week. Frankly, I, I don't know what to expect. I think he's a sneaky good runner, and he can definitely keep you honest. And I think he is a pretty accurate passer, but will he get flustered with a relentless pass rush? That isn't necessarily all world, but they're going to keep going. They have great motor. That's something I'm really interested in watching. I'm taking Notre Dame. Uh, I think Notre Dame is the recipe. Michigan's provided the blueprint for everybody. I think they'll slow the game down. I think they'll get the Ohio State offense out of rhythm. And I think Notre Dame has enough in the trenches to be able to neutralize what is a question mark along the offensive line for Ohio State. And I think they'll be able to slow down the run game enough too. I think Notre Dame has been building towards this moment. It's a huge opportunity for them. I think they'll make the most of it on Saturday in what should be one of the biggest wins in program in recent program history. Let's go to Clemson, South Carolina, where I'll be on the call alongside Sean McDonough and Molly McGrath. Can't wait to be on the call for this one. This is noon Eastern time on ABC. Florida State travels to Clemson. Clemson has won 42 of their last 43 home games with their lone loss, of course, coming last year against South Carolina. In addition, they've won 25 consecutive home conference games, which is the longest streak currently in the FBS. They last lost at home against an ACC opponent back in 2016. So it's been a while since they've really been tested at home. Well, they're an underdog coming into this one, and probably understandably so. Let's think about the keys to the game. Clemson has to play a clean game, okay? They have to play a clean game for sure. For the first time this season, last week, they finally played a clean game. Now, they won the turnover margin for the first time. They forced four turnovers last week against FAU. They only surrendered one. So I think it's going to be really important for them to play smart, clean football. If you think back to the Duke game, several issues with quarterback running back exchange. There have been times where it looks like maybe Kate Klubnick seeing a couple ghosts a little bit. You saw Duke really do a lot of interesting things in coverage and played with his eyes a little bit. They disguised coverage quite a bit. They brought late pressure. They rolled into some of his outlets. Duke had an excellent plan. I would imagine that Florida State will try to mimic that plan and making the quarterback uncomfortable. Florida State's offensive line, I think, has maybe the most difficult test of the day. This is a defensive front that while it might not be as good as, say, the 2018 version of Clemson. They're still excellent. The best part of this defensive front is on the interior. Their defensive tackle contingent, whether it's Rook Arororo, whether it's Peter Woods, whether it's Tyler Davis, those are the three guys. Uh, Peter Woods 11, Tyler Davis 13, Rook Arororo is number 33. Those three guys in the middle are a handful. That's the strength of the defense. A lot of people would say linebacker. I think it's defensive tackle. The edges are still very good. Maybe not Cleveland Farrell, but they're still very, very good and guys that can certainly take over the game if your tackles don't play well. I think Florida State's going to have to find ways to run the football. Trey Benson was massive in this game last year, but if you look at what's kind of hurt Clemson so far, it's actually been running backs coming out of the backfield on free releases, wheels. Duke killed them on it a couple times. I would imagine that'll be a big part of Florida State's game plan offensively going against a group that has given up some big plays to backs out of the backfield in the passing game. 
Jordan Travis is an excellent quarterback. Got a little dinged up at the end of the half last week. Should be good to go. No problem whatsoever. And he has an elite wide receiver core. The one question about Clemson for a very long time has been what is their secondary capable of covering? They've been so good up front. The secondary, for the most part, has been largely untested. I actually think that that secondary is pretty good. I look at Nate Wiggins. He's number two. He's taken a big stride. I think as far as his coverability, and I think he will have a difficult matchup with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman, but that's going to be a matchup that Clemson absolutely has to win. Johnny Wilson, 6'7", Keon Coleman, 6'4". When you see that length going vertical, you got to be able to win the 50-50 balls. If Wiggins can win his fair share of those, that will help an awful lot in kind of neutralizing what is a big play passing attack that Florida State likes to utilize. As far as Clemson's offense is concerned, they have not really thrown the ball downfield as much as you would like. If you kind of look at what they did last week, they, they hit one post over the top. That was nice to see. But if you look back to the games against Duke, they haven't really been able to push the ball vertically. They haven't really been able to push the ball down the field. That, I think, is going to be of the utmost importance. Another thing to note, last week, Florida State really struggled with quarterback run on third down. Thomas Castellanos, the quarterback of Boston College, had 94 rushing yards on third down alone. That's the most rushing yards given up by a defense to a quarterback on third down since week four of 2022. So it's been a long time since the quarterbacks had that type of productivity running the football on third down. It killed Florida State last week. They have to do a better job because Cade Klubnick, while he's not a crazy, gifted, takeoff and run guy, he can certainly keep you honest if you are not smart with how you attack the quarterback. The one issue that I think Clemson might have is the defensive end tandem that is Patrick Payton and Jared Verse. Jared Verse, we know he's one of the best players in America. He continues to be that. Him going against one of these two tackles is going to be a very difficult matchup for Clemson. Patrick Payton, though, not to be outdone. He's got great length. He can certainly, if he gets one-on-ones, he can win as well. So the tackles for Clemson are going to have to play great in the game as well. I, of course, will not give a pick. I'm on the call. But it's going to be fascinating to watch this one where Florida State is a slight favorite over Clemson at Death Valley. Can't wait to be there. Another massive game that I know everybody and their brother will be interested in watching. I know I can't wait to watch it. That's Colorado at Oregon. That's 3.30 Eastern time on ABC. Here are the big keys, I think, when it comes to this game. What does Oregon want the pace to be? Do they want it to be a track meet? Because based on how Oregon's played since Kenny Dillingham was there last year to where they're at so far through three games... You look at what they are, they're a team that really wants to ramp it up. They want to play with pace. They want to play with urgency offensively. And so far through three games, they're averaging about 58 points a game. They have 174 points through three games. It's the most in school history. Uh, take that back. Second most in school history. The most they ever had was 189. That was back in 2010. So they are clearly rolling. Now, granted, 81 of those 174 points came against Portland State in the opener, so take it with a grain of salt. However, they've beaten up on Hawaii and granted 38 points against Texas Tech. Difficult road trip, one that they handled, I think, pretty well. Do they want it to be a track meet? Because I think if you play a track meet style game against Colorado, you are playing into their hands. Colorado scored 35 points in each of the first three games of the season. That's the first time they've done so since 1995, and they've never done this in the first four games of the season. So, if they can keep things going, I think if Oregon wants to ramp up the tempo that might actually help Colorado just a little bit because Colorado is very comfortable winning a game that gets into the high forties, maybe even the fifties 
in this particular matchup. Turnovers are going to be massive in this game as well. So far, neither team have turned it over. <laughs> Colorado and Oregon have had a ton of success forcing turnovers, and they all have a plus six turnover margin in 23. Those are tied for the best in the Pac-12. Big matchup in this game, Colorado's offensive line against Oregon's defensive line. It's been long documented what Colorado's offensive line is. They struggle. I mean, lack of a better word, they struggle, man. So far, they are giving up pressure nearly half the time. Half of Shador Sanders' dropbacks, just about 44% to be exact, have resulted in pressure. The FBS average, the average in college football is 31%. So they are way north of the average. They actually currently, based on pressure rate, they are 120th in the FBS. That's the seventh highest pressure rate that any FBS quarterback has seen this season. Okay. Now the pressures haven't gotten to Shador Sanders. I think that's what's most remarkable. He's completed 70% of his passes while he's under duress. So even as the pressure is around him or guys are breathing down his neck, he's still able to be really, really effective. He has seven touchdown passes under pressure. He has nearly 600 yards under pressure. So it hasn't really affected him very much, but he has gotten sacked quite a bit. And if they start getting way behind the sticks and these Oregon pass rushers can pin their ears back and come. That's going to make a whole heck of a lot more difficult for Shador Sanders and that offensive line because if they're way behind the sticks because they got sacked on first or second down, that could become very problematic. The other thing too, Oregon is by far the best rushing team that Colorado has seen so far. Now, if they want to run the football, I think it'd be advisable just so you know. We know that the Ducks have an incredible one-two punch at running back. Colorado defensively, 121st in the country on yards allowed per rush, over five yards per carry given up, 122nd in rushing yards allowed per game. It's 195 rushing yards they've given up as well. I think Oregon's going to try to play bully ball. I think they're going to try to run it over and over and over again to test what is what I think a relatively untested defensive line. I think on the perimeter, Colorado's really good. Up the middle, I have my questions and I have my doubts. The other thing I'm also going to be keeping a close eye on, Colorado's wide receivers against Oregon's defensive backs. Now, if you look at Colorado's receivers, you can make a case. I know we talked about Ohio State. We have talked about Washington. Uh, we've talked about Texas. We've talked about a handful of other schools as it relates to the best wide receiver room in the country. Even in the absence of Travis Hunter, who of course is a very, very dynamic weapon, will be sidelined for this game and probably for a couple more weeks after that. Hate that he's out. I do think they have enough weapons to still be a very difficult matchup. You look at Jimmy Horn Jr., guy's got 26 catches. Look at Xavier Weaver, he's got 25 catches. You look at Michael Harrison at tight end, his emergence last week, he's been really good now and him being a factor in the passing game is going to make this group even more versatile than they've been already up to this point. And we've seen Oregon secondary perform really well week one against Portland State. In week two, there were a couple mistakes made, a couple mistakes made by the Ducks in the back end. But for the most part, if you're going to take it, Look, from about 30,000-foot perspective, it was a pretty good group. However, against my, uh, Hawaii, they were once again very, very dominant. So I think this will be a huge test for Oregon's defensive backs. And, hey, if you can slow these guys down, you're clearly doing something right. You might not see a better group until you have to play against Washington or SC a couple weeks down the road. Finally, Colorado, if you're playing against them, you better be ready to play for 60 minutes. For whatever reason, they have played their best football in the second half 
of the game. We think about last week, down 11 in the fourth quarter before they won the game in the second overtime. It was the largest fourth quarter comeback for the Buffaloes since 2012. And Sanders right now, he's the first player in the last 20 years to record at least 200 passing yards and 80% completion percentage in the second half of three consecutive games. So if you're going to get a lead, Oregon, you might want to take the air out of the football because this is a group that can come back and will come back if you let them. I lean Oregon heavy in this game. I don't know if the 21 number is, that seems like a little bit much for me, completely honest. I would probably lean towards Colorado and the points, but I think Oregon wins this game convincingly. I expect a ground and pound style of attack and a physical football game to challenge whether or not Colorado can handle that kind of fight in the trenches up front defensively. And then finally, before we take a quick break here, there is a lot of hoopla surrounding Alabama and Ole Miss. Now, Alabama will host the Rebels. And I think when we look at this game, we have to take a lot of things into account. What we've seen up to this point for either team might not necessarily be applicable in this game. There's so much familiarity on the staff. Lane Kiffin knows Nick Saban like the back of his hand. Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator for Ole Miss, he was on Nick Saban's staff for a very, very long time. Don't think for a second this one hasn't been circled for a really long time if you're Pete Golding and if you're Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's 0-3 against his former boss, but he's played him pretty close. This will be a really big opportunity for Ole Miss to go into Tuscaloosa and potentially knock off the Tide, who appear at the moment to be just a little bit vulnerable. Vulnerable. The big thing for Ole Miss, they have to be able to run the football. They really didn't run the ball very well in their first two games. Just 232 yards rushing in the first two games. Uh, against Georgia Tech, they had 299 yards. But here's the problem. Quinshawn Judkins was not really much of a factor, or at least has not been much of a factor in the run game up to this point. Last week's near 300-yard effort was in large part due to what Jackson Dart provided. Right now, Jackson Dart is leading the SEC in rushing by a quarterback. He's 50 yards north of what Jaden Daniels at LSU has done. So he is doing a great job. Great job running the football with 213 rushing yards up to this point, but he's been deadly accurate as well. He's made some really good decisions with the football with capable weapons on the perimeter. Last year, Quinshawn Judkins was a man in this game. He ran for 135 yards, two touchdowns against Alabama. So that was the best performance by a running back against Alabama since Nick Chubb back in 2015. So he, I think, needs to replicate that performance for Ole Miss to effectively and consistently move the football. Here's the next question. Can Alabama run the football? Because we came into the season saying this is going to be a ground and pound style of attack. This is a murder ball outfit. They have three offensive linemen that weigh 350 or more, two that weigh 360 or more, one that's nearing 370. So what we thought is that be able to move people off the ball. They'd just be able to lean on people and they would just ultimately wear teams out along the front. Well, it hasn't really materialized up to this point. Yes, well, last week against South Florida, Roy Dale Williams got going, 124 yards and touchdown in the second half of that football game. Uh, really, the first five halves of the game, Roy Dale Williams has been pretty quiet, just 53 rushing yards in the first five halves of the football game. But the overall inconsistency of the group running the football has been a little problematic. Right now, Alabama is 66th out of 130 FBS teams in rushing yards per attempt, about four and a half yards 
per carry. It takes into account yardage lost on sacks. So you got to take that with a grain, but more on that in a minute. But overall, four and a half yards per carry is eighth in the SEC. That's not going to be good enough. They're only 172 yards per game on the ground. That's 56th in college football and seventh in the SEC. Now Jalen Milrow's your guy. You know he's your quarterback. He needs designed runs, whether it's quarterback sweeps, quarterback sprints. He's got to constantly be moving. If Jalen Milrow's ever stationary in the pocket, I think that's a bad recipe. He's got to be on the move. He's got to be off misdirection. You got to have bootlegs, sprint outs, all those things that help feature his dynamic playmaking ability. And in the process, you can simplify some of the passing reads as well, but he's got to be a huge factor in the run game moving forward to complement what should be a pretty deep stable of backs, but a group of backs that isn't necessarily at this point playing high-level football. This group collectively has to be a whole lot better against an Ole Miss group that has been pretty dang good so far, allowing just 2.88 yards per carry. Granted, it's Mercer, Tulane, and Georgia Tech. But last year, they're 4.23. So they're a yard and a half better than they were a year ago. So they are significantly improved on that side of the ball, especially when it comes to stopping the run. But Jalen Milrow hopefully will provide a little bit of a spark to the run game for Alabama moving forward. Here's the other thing. If Alabama is off schedule, for instance, they're behind the sticks. They don't gain four or five yards on first down running the football. Can they protect their quarterback? So far, Alabama quarterbacks have been sacked five times in the last two weeks. Five against Texas, five against South Florida. It's the first time since 2005 that Alabama's had five sacks in consecutive games. Rebs so far, they have 10 sacks this season. That's the third most in the SEC. So those tackles have to be a whole lot better. So many other aspects of this game that I'm interested in. Obviously, the coaching battle, the X's and the O's, trying to create matchups. I love the way Alabama's defense played last week. I think they played smart. It looked like a simpler plan. They were able to play a lot faster. I thought the secondary did a great job tracking the ball. This will be a much more difficult task, knowing some of the matchups that Ole Miss can create. But I like the way Alabama's secondary matches up against Ole Miss weapons. I think it really, this game, is going to be one of the line of scrimmage. Whoever offensive line and defensive line plays better, that's who's ultimately going to win the game. And of course, naturally, it's going to come down to turnovers. If Jalen Milrow is careless with the football, Ole Miss will win the game. If Alabama keeps a clean sheet offensively and they have zero turnovers, maybe force one or two themselves, then Alabama will win the game. I like Alabama to win the game. I like them close. I would not lay the points, but I like the tie to win outright. One, some more massive games that we're very excited about. Oregon State at Washington State, the battle of the Pac-2. I say that jokingly. You Beaver and uh, and Cougar fans, you know I love you. I'm pulling for you. I actually hate that y'all are playing each other this week because I'm rooting for both y'all to win every game. So I digress. Let's talk about what determines the game. Oregon State has to be able to run the football. Damian Martinez so far, 102 rushing yards in the win over San Diego State. By the way, that's a really good group up front. That's a really good group that's proud, solid against the run. So 102 rushing yards, even though you're not going to necessarily you know, have your jaw drop on that one. Pretty good performance. He's had nine consecutive games going over 100 yards in the regular season. And they are 8-1 and one in that stretch. So we know what Oregon State's all about. They have to run the football. And if you think about where Martinez is right now, he's averaging nearly nine yards carry. So he is the real deal, and this offensive line is absolutely phenomenal. I love this group so much. More on them here in just a minute. Turnovers have to be big in this game. DJ Uyunglele, really great start to the year. But a couple turnovers last week. Granted, yeah, 284 yards passing is most since the Wake Forest game last year. But you can't have picks in, in this game. You just absolutely can't. You cannot give Washington State extra possessions. 
They are too good. They are too dynamic and they have too much offensive firepower to give them the potential momentum swings or the short field. Can Oregon State slow down Cam Ward is a big question for me. Cam Ward right now is playing really good football. New offensive system that's come in, even though it's variation of air raid, they're stretching the field a little bit more. Basically, last year, it was Mike Leach. This year, it's Josh Heupel in Tennessee. So if you haven't watched Washington State, highly recommend you take a peek at this game because I think you're really going to enjoy the style of attack that the Cougars have employed this year. The big part of this game that I am most excited about, though, is Oregon State's offensive line against Washington State's defensive line. That's the strength of both teams. Tackles in particular, okay? Tackles in particular. Oregon State has two of the best tackles in the entire country. Joshua Gray and Talisi Fuaga, these guys are amazing. Amazing, okay? And they're going up against two edge defenders for Wazoo that are legit, Brennan Jackson and Ron Stone Jr., all right. Both were second team all conference selections in the preseason. They've had a terrific start to the season. They have combined for 23 tackles, four sacks, and Stone by himself has forced two fumbles that Brennan Jackson recovered. So these two edge defenders for Washington State can take over the game. The good news is for Oregon State, I really think that they have the right recipe and the right pieces on the edges to be able to limit that a little bit. I'm taking Wazoo in the game. Right now, I trust their quarterback just a little bit more. They need to have a little bit more versatility, and I think the home field will help them greatly in this environment. It's going to be a heck of a game, a knockdown, dragout, slugfest. But I've seen Wazoo get tested so far against Wisconsin. I love the way they responded. Even though the second half wasn't quite as good as the first half, I think that battle-tested group, will fare better in this matchup. So I lean just ever so slightly in favor of the underdog, the home dog this week in the Washington State Cougars. Another great game this weekend that I cannot wait for. UCLA at Utah. This to me is an amazing game. First and foremost, is Cam rising back? Is Brent Keithy back? A lot of people have said this is the game they've circled. This is the game they're returning. I, I don't know right now. I don't know. I don't have insider information. I'm cautiously optimistic they'll be ready to go here real soon. But I, I don't know if it's going to be this week, next week, the, ne the week after that, what have you. So let's just operate right now with the information that we have. If Cam Rising's in, just know he's a gamer, great runner. Even though he's coming off a knee, will they still be willing to run it as often? But he's extremely accurate, uh, does a really good job, just, an, just a top flight competitor. But if he can't go, then it'll be Nate Johnson again. Nate Johnson, think about what he did in the fourth quarter against Baylor. He was legit. Now, didn't throw it a lot, but... He obviously is very athletic. The guy's a gifted runner. I believe he's like a 10-3, guy. So he's got great top-end speed, and he finished the day against Baylor 6-7 for 82. But you think about what they're able to do, man. He had 32 yards uh, on, on the ground on the game-tying touchdown. So this guy is, is a spark on offense, and he's very difficult to contain. So it's going to be very, very important for UCLA to be mindful, if he is the quarterback this weekend, of his legs and what he can potentially do in the open field. The big question this one, it's UCLA, it's Utah. We know what they're trying to do, right? Who can more effectively run the football? Now, the Utes have been terrific running the football up to this point. At least 100 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown in 28 straight games. It's the longest active streak in the FBS uh, by a Pac-12 team since Oregon 
had 34 game run from 2011 to 2013. So they are on a unprecedented run of being able to run the football, but they're going against a rush defense that is terrific. So far, UCLA just two yards given up per carry in 23, which is in the top 10 in all of college football. So who's going to be able to run the ball when UCLA's defense on the field against Utah's offense? I think it's good versus good type of matchup, and I can't wait to watch it. The other thing, you can't sleep on UCLA's rushing attack. Now, they have cracked 100 yards in 35 consecutive games. Third longest active streak in the FBS and third longest streak by a Pac-12 team in the last 20 years. So you know Chip Kelly's going to want to run the football. You know their tandem of running backs are going to get plenty of opportunities both between the tackles and on the perimeter, and they're going to try to cut this defense in half with some of the looks that they have. Here I think might be the biggest question in the game. Can Utah rattle the true freshman quarterback, Dante Moore? Now, Moore is a phenomenal player. I mean, he's a true freshman, thrust into the spotlight, obviously took over in the second half of the Coastal Carolina game and has not looked back. 615 yards, seven touchdowns, and one interception to go with the 63% completion rate to the two and a half games is pretty dang remarkable for your first college action. Now, he's not a guy that's going to run around a lot. He's not a guy that's going to really beat you with his athleticism. He can keep you honest. He's not a statue by any stretch. But he's not a guy that's really going to take off and not a guy that you need to be really worried about on a third down scramble situation. But as far as where he's at and his development, he has not handled pressure well up to this point. He has not. And he's just like any other young quarterback. If guys get in his face, it's really uncomfortable. You talk to any young quarterback that's thrust out there early in their career, the biggest difference between high school and college is the defensive line play and how quickly you have to make decisions, and how quickly those defensive linemen will get in your face and make your life very difficult. Right now, under duress, Dante Moore is just 3 of 12, 3 of 12 on the 19 plays he's been pressured. He also throws thrown interception. He's been sacked four times. So under duress, which, by the way, against Utah, I think it's a high likelihood that he's going to feel some heat from time to time. He has not been at his very best, but when you give him time and you give him the opportunity to survey downfield, the guy is really talented. Unbelievable accuracy, unbelievable ball placement for a guy of his age, and on passes that have traveled more than 20 yards downfield, he's 7-10 to for 275 yards and four touchdowns. So a big part of the plan for UCLA, can they protect their freshman quarterback and allow their receivers, who I think are really good, plenty of time to develop on routes downfield where he can hit them in stride and hopefully turn it in to big plays. I like Utah in the game. I would take the points. Four and a half is too many. I think UCLA will keep it close, but going on the road to Utah, hostile environment with a tenacious defensive front, that might just be a little bit too much for Dante Moore to handle at least right now. Let's go to the Big Ten. Iowa at Penn State. Now, Iowa's had a pretty good track record. I was a little surprised kind of looking historically over these two teams and and how they've matched up in the past. The last time these two teams met, they were both top five teams back in 2021. And the Hawkeyes pulled off some fourth quarter magic. And ultimately, as a result of the win, they won 23-20. They found themselves at number two in the following poll. And they actually won in Happy Valley. Granted, it was during 2020 and COVID. So was it a true road environment? Not necessarily. But they got that win pretty convincingly. And granted, we know that, that Penn State struggled that season, so take that one with a slight grain of salt. But I was surprised. I would think, man, Penn State matches up really well against Iowa. Actually, not the case the last couple of times. 
these two teams have faced off. A couple important notes for this game. Iowa is without some really key pieces. One is their tight end lean receiver, Luke Lachey. Uh, he got hurt. It was a nasty injury. He's had surgery. Uh, Kirk Ferentz talked about whether or not he might be a made available down the road. Uh, I don't know. I don't speculate on injuries, but I'm just wishing him to have a speedy recovery and a 100% recovery because it was nasty. The injury that that happened uh, for him against Western Michigan. They're also going to be without two of their top backs, Caleb Johnson and, and Jazzy and Patterson. Those two guys are are also going to be out in the game. So in their absence, you're going to have Eric All step up at tight end. Now he's the transfer from Michigan. He has a lot of experience. He has played a lot. Now, I don't know if he's quite the the weapon in the passing game that Luke Lachey is, but he's going to be asked to do a lot for this offense. Now, he has a rapport with his quarterback, Cade McNamara, but he's going to have to really step up into a featured role now that Lachey will be sidelined the remainder of the season. And that running back, they're hoping that LaShawn Williams can replicate the 145-yard performance he had last week against Western Michigan. Obviously, a big, big step up in competition, but they're hoping that he might be a dude. And by all accounts, he's the real deal. That's just what people are saying. I have not seen a whole lot of him outside of what I saw last week, but I'm cautiously optimistic that he's got a chance to be a difference maker, even in the absence of the two aforementioned guys. The other guy they need to keep an eye on, Kamari Moulton, who is a true freshman, that also has some pretty decent talent. Will should should probably get at least a decent look, uh, if for whatever reason Lashawn Williams needs a break or a blow or whatever it might be. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, can the Iowa defense contain Penn State? Um, that's a big question. Penn State scored thirty plus points in ten straight games. It's the longest active streak in the country, and the second longest streak by a Penn State by Penn State in school history. Uh, they did have 15 straight games dating back in 93, 94. And we all know what Penn State looked like in 93 and 94. It was pretty good players uh, on those teams for sure. So this is a an offense that has been very effective dating back well into last year. Iowa is going to completely sell out against the run. Like, you know that. Anytime you think about Phil Parker, their defensive coordinator, you know what he's all about. Stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. We're going to make the quarterback beat us. And if the young quarterback throws it in our direction, we are going to make plays on the ball. It's very simple. <laughs> when you watch Iowa, you know what you're going to get defensively. Now, Drew Aller, it's a big game for him. He's got to play great. But guess what? West Virginia sold out against the run too. And Drew Aller made them pay. He also lit it up against Delaware. So he, he was a little bit bothered last week, as you could tell. Completion percentage dipped. Efficiency dipped, obviously level up in competition with Illinois. This will be now another significant level up with the group that he's going to face this weekend. I think Iowa's defense is extremely good. They're very, very sound. They don't give up freebies. They don't give up cheap ones. If you're going to get your yardage, you're going to be super accurate and you're going to make great decisions because they have ball hawkers in the secondary that will find the ball, that will tip the ball, and will reel the ball in and turn it into points for their own team. So that I think is going to be massive. What will Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator, dial up to make Drew Aller's life uncomfortable? The other thing is, can Iowa score? I mean, do we answer this question? We we ask this question every week. And I think the answer is still a huge question mark. I mean, Cade McNamara is clearly still hampered by the quad injury. Uh, you can tell. And right now he's not crazy accurate. 
And for whatever reason, he's still trying to be a hero from time to time. He's forced the issue a couple of times. He's got three picks this year. He cannot do that against a Penn State group that is one week removed from intercepting four Illinois passes. They're going to be really, really good about it because turnovers are probably going to be what, ter- what determines the game. Penn State, they have not turned the football over all season. They're one of just two teams in college football that has yet to turn the football over, them and Oregon. Iowa, however, even as it relates to turnover margin. They've forced three, but their quarterback has thrown three away. So they are even the turnover margin. But if Iowa can somehow get their hands on the ball, I think this game could be a lot more competitive. I would take the points. 14 and a half, 14, wherever that thing ends up, feels like too many. I would take the points, but I also expect it to be pretty low scoring. But ultimately, I expect Penn State to get the job done on their home field. Finally, we'll finish with Texas at Baylor. Now, Baylor last week ended a six-game losing streak which was the second longest losing streak in the nation. Big question marks for Texas. Can they be better on third down? All right. Can they be better on third down? They have not been great up to this point. They are 89th out of 130 football teams. They convert just 38%. It's not good enough. They got to be better on third down. That falls on Quinn Ewers. That falls on the protection. And you know, Dave Aranda is going to have a great plan in place for this Baylor defense to tee off on Quinn Ewers and to try to limit the explosiveness of this offensive unit. And then for Baylor offensively, Sawyer Robertson will get the start. He's in for the injured Blake Shapin. Uh, Maybe RJ Martinez gets in there. He's the third stringer, but I don't know if it's likely going to be him. But Robertson has not been great so far. Just 10 of 22 for 113 in the touchdown last week against Long Island. That's not good enough. He's going to have to be really good because you know it's going to be very difficult to run the football against Texas. They're going to completely sell out against the run. They're going to make the quarterback beat them. And Texas has the dudes on the back end to make that very tough. You look at the interceptions, very, very costly. Very costly. For Sawyer Robinson, that was against Utah. A couple of bad interceptions that ultimately led different direction. You're going to get a heavy dose. Well, I would imagine Dominic Richardson and Richard Reese. These are two bruisers at running back for Baylor. So they're going to get the hard yardage. It's going to be very important for Texas to tackle at a really high clip. And then Keytron Jackson is going to be the go-to guy at wide receiver. And then at tight end will be Drake Dabney, who's going to get targeted a lot in play action in the red zone. So I think this is going to be a really big slobber knocker type of game. I think it'll be a low scoring game. I like Texas to win this game convincingly and take care of business on the road at Baylor couple games that I don't know if are going to be super competitive, but one thing I want to see from teams that I really, really respect. So let's go through it. Michigan is taking on Rutgers. Obviously, first Power 5 game for Michigan this year. I want to see the continued improvement of J.J. McCarthy. He's been improved in the red zone. He's been improved on third down. He's been improved on deep balls. Did have a couple bad decisions made last week, but he's going to have to continue to play at a really high level because the rushing attack right now, for whatever reason, the Michigan is not where it needs to be. You know that Greg Schiano and company at Rutgers are going to try to sell out against the run. I need to see J.J. McCarthy continue to play at a really, really high clip if I'm going to continue to feel great about what I've seen so far from Michigan. LSU and Arkansas, obviously the battle of the boot. Love this matchup. Love this game. Jaden Daniels, I want to see him continue to play at a really high level. A really high level. Last week is probably the best I've ever seen him. And sometimes he does hero ball. Last year against Arkansas, really, really struggled. Got sacked seven times in the process. Will he get the ball out quick? Will he get the ball out decisively? And can Arkansas's defense contain him? Right now, without Rocket Sanders, it's a little bit of a question mark as to how Arkansas is going to attack this LSU defense because we saw LSU defense really play well last week. I think it's going to be a very difficult task for K.J. Jefferson to move the offense consistently. And then another one, too, Oklahoma and Cincinnati. 
Oklahoma is going against Cincinnati. Welcome to the Big 12, I might add. Uh, this will be their first Big 12 game, so very excited about that. Second thing I'd like to see, Oklahoma has been excellent against the run up to this point this year. Uh, obviously, one of the worst run defenses in America last year. One of the worst in the history of Oklahoma football. Well, up to this point, they're doing a pretty good job. Just 79 yards a game given up so far against Arkansas State and Tulsa. So they held both those guys to less than 75 yards rushing, and they're allowing just 2.3 yards per carry. So that is significant progress. It's 11th best in college football up to this point. Now you're going to say, well, this, they're not playing anybody. Fair enough. I, I don't deny that. But last year in the non-conference, they gave up 120 yards per game with opponents averaging nearly three yards per carry. They were 49th nationally in run defense last year. Right now they're 11th. So they're clearly a lot better than they were a year ago. Can that continue against a Cincinnati team that right now has the nation's number eight ranked offense running the football? They average 239 yards a game and they are averaging about five yards per carry. And they have played against Pitt, who traditionally has been a very strong outfit against the run. All right, a couple more games that you might want to take a peek at. We didn't break them down today, but they're very interesting. Friday night, you get a little action tomorrow night. Wisconsin at Purdue. Very excited about that one. Wisconsin has not looked good so far. Relatively speaking, not looked good so far. Can they get things going against a Purdue outfit that has struggled against both Fresno and last week against Syracuse? It'll be interesting to see that. Auburn goes on the road to Texas A&M. This is Hugh Freeze's first game back in the SEC. A&M has looked good at times, but... Also, not so good at times. Same can be said for Auburn. It's be a great test for the Tigers when they go on the road to College Station. But I think College Station, man, it's going to be a tough spot for them. I think Aggies get this one done and get this one done convincingly. BYU, welcome to the Big 12 BYU. You go on the road to Kansas. Both teams are undefeated. So it should be very exciting. If Kansas get a win, man, 4-0. Be pretty dang impressive. I guess who comes to town next week? The Texas Longhorns. That's well, you go there, whatever. Either way, very interesting game there for Lance Leipold and company. If they can take care of business against BYU team, that's obviously riding high after their big win on the road at Arkansas last week. Memphis at Missouri. Both teams are undefeated. Another great game. Will Missouri stay hot? They played great last week. Memphis played terrible last week against Navy, but a couple extra days to prepare because they played on Friday night or Thursday night or whatever it was. A couple extra days to kind of get their legs under them. It's a big opportunity, I think, for Memphis to make a statement. Missouri, maybe they're reading their press clippings this week after the crazy chaotic win on the 61-yard walk-off field goal by Mevis. Maybe this is one where Missouri better be buttoned up because Memphis is very stout, especially on the defense side of the football. UCF is at Kansas State. UCF, welcome to the Big 12. Awesome opportunity for them here as well. Without John Rice Plumley, wish they were at full strength, but Kansas State licking their wounds a little bit after the loss to Missouri last week. Maybe Kansas State can right the ship at home against what should be a very challenging outfit in UCF. Thanks so much for being with us. We so appreciate you guys. Continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you can leave us a rating, that'd be amazing. And continue to check us out. We'll be back for our Sunday reactions. Check us out in a couple of days. We'll be taping, hopefully not at 2.30 in the morning like we were last week. But hey, if we do, gotta do what you gotta do sometimes, man. We so appreciate you guys. We love you guys. We hope you have a terrific week for all of us here at Always College Football. For Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.